And even last Sunday night, as we began our series here in the life of Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we were introduced to this man uh, in the midst of a very dark time in the, na- in the kingdom of Israel. Uh, the, the, the kingdom had been divided. Uh, King Solomon uh, appointed his son Rehoboam to come and rule all of Israel in his stead. However, Rehoboam and his foolishness rejected the counsel of godly men. And uh, the God divided the kingdom into two parts. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel with its capital city of Samaria. And the southern kingdom of Judah was Judah and Benjamin, the two, uh, two tribes, with their, uh, their capital city being Jerusalem. Uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, had an uh, admixture of good kings and bad kings. Uh, however, sadly, the northern kingdom of Israel, they never had one good king. And as we come here in, in chapter 17, if you remember, uh, we, were, uh, we were introduced to two people whose names are synonymous one with another. And when I say Ahab, you say Jezebel, right? A wicked king Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And they had brought great darkness into the land of Israel. Uh, they, she was a, an idolater. Uh, she was pagan. And Ahab was no better. Uh, They built a grove uh, to worship Baal and caused the children of Israel to sin. They followed in the steps of Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel, who caused Israel to sin. And with every king of Israel, they continually moved further and further away from God. But even in the midst of such darkness and hardship, God still had a people. Aren't you thankful for that? And even, you know, we look at our world today... Uh, in general, I'm painting with a broad stroke brush here this morning, the world in which we live is rather dark, isn't it? Uh, There are a lot of things that take place in society today that we just scratch our head at. and We think, where, uh, how do we, when did we ever believe this was logical, right? When did this ever make sense? You know, there, there are things that take place uh, that things that are being taught in the public school system that you just got, wow, why? Where did, how, my how we've come so far, eh, so quickly. But Christians, there's still hope. Why is there still hope? Well, even as Ahab and Jezebel believed that they were getting away scot-free and, and they could just continue their life living with no regard for God, no regard for the existence of God, God was still alive, isn't He? Aren't you glad that God is still alive this morning? That the Lord is still in control. And so you can take a step back this morning and consider and contemplate the position that you have in life today. No matter how great or how bad it is. No matter what tragedy you've just experienced. No matter what hardship you will face in the future. We can understand definitively that God is still alive. That God is still in control. He is Almighty God. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork. God is alive. The Bible says in Colossians chapter number 1, that by Him, speaking of Christ, were all things created, and by Him all things consist, and that, that He is in charge, come what may. Regardless of what man thinks, God is still in control. And Christian, you can have faith in Him. You can have faith in God. Do you have faith in God? Do you believe that in your heart of hearts, it's going to be okay? Are you optimistic, or are you pessimistic? You know, 
I believe that in Bible Christianity, there is no room for pessimism. Because God is alive. Because your sins have been forgiven. Heaven is your home. Christ is your Savior. What great promises we have in God's Word, beloved. And as we look back here in First um, Kings chapter number 17, in verse number 1, we found the statement that as, as Elijah burst onto the scene, he doesn't make friends. He's not out. He didn't read that Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, he just told Ahab what was what. The Bible says in verse 1 of chapter 17, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. And then he vanishes from the scene. God leads him to a place uh, called the brook Cherith, and causes ravens uh, to feed uh, to feed Elijah every day. God meets, God supplies his need as the drought sets in. But eventually that brook dried up and there was no, nothing for him to drink. You know, you can, you can go days without food, but you can't go very long without water. Qu- Christian, let me ask you a question this morning. What do you do in life? Because we can handle the drought, can't we? You know, we can, a drought is, is a lean time, isn't it? It's, it's you know, we, we lack just a little bit, but we can still get by. What happens when the drought turns into a famine? Because in chapter number 18, in verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went and, and, uh, to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. What is the difference between a drought and a famine? You know, a drought doesn't last very long. You know, usually, uh, I remember when we lived out west, they were experiencing a drought. Uh, you could go out to Lake Mead, which uh, the Hoover Dam, how many of you know where the Hoover Dam is uh, there in, in southern Nevada, Henderson? And you can go to the, uh, to the Hoover Dam and you can see how far the water had receded. There's a high water mark and where all the mineral deposits are. And then it's like 50 to 100 feet down is where the water level is now. They're experiencing a drought but they're still living their lives. They're still watering their grass. You know, they're still able to, to, to live and survive. What's the difference between a drought and a famine? A famine when the, is when there's absolutely nothing. You have nothing. You can't get by. There's no food. There's nothing. You, you cannot survive with a famine. People are going to die. People are going to starve. Uh, a famine is much worse than a drought. And Christian, in your life, what is your response to God when you go through a famine in life? If you're able, I invite you to stand with me this morning. We're going to read together in God's Word. We're going to begin reading in verse 8 of chapter 17. We'll read down through the end of the chapter. I know it's a lengthy passage, but notice what the Bible says beginning in verse number 8. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, speaking of Elijah, it says, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, 
and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when, he had, uh, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And he said, I'm sorry, and she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal and a barrel, and a little oil and a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. I like how he put himself first, right? You can die all you want, but feed me first, you know. The compassion of Elijah. It says, And bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. In verse 17, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, uh, I'm sorry, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him into his, uh, unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, Thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in uh, uh, the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Father, we thank you for the word of God this morning, and Lord, we do pray that you'd open our eyes, God, that you'd speak to us today from the scriptures, that you'd change our lives, God, that you'd help us be more like Christ. Oh, Lord, that you would help us see uh, what our behavior ought to be when things go from bad to worse in our lives, when they go from, from times of leanness to times of nothing at all. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would speak to us and challenge us and, Lord, help us to behave ourselves as, as, uh, as your Scriptures uh, command us to behave. And so, Lord, we pray that your will would be done in all of our lives this morning. Lord, we pray for your help. Speak to us, we ask. Lord, we surrender our hearts to you. Lord, may you help us make the proper decisions today. Lord, may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
You may be seated. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bibles, I'd like to draw your attention to what the Bible says in verse number 15 of chapter number 17. The Bible says that they, notice, did eat many days. What is your greatest fear in times of famine? When you're going through the most difficult of circumstances in life, what is your chiefest fear? You know, we've gone through 2020. Um, that's quite an interesting year, isn't it? Um, 2020 attacked everything that we care about. Think about people's financial positions, uh, people's health, right? There, there are so many things that, that we fear. What do you fear? You know, we, we learn a great deal from the lives of these great men of God. Elijah, we'll look at Elisha here when we're done with, with his, this man's life. But so oftentimes we learn lessons, valuable lessons, from the lives with whom they interact. And God called this man, Elijah, to go to a place called Zarephath. And it was there that God ordained this lady, this widow woman with her son, to take care of this man of God. Uh, to feed him, to sustain him, to bring him to the point where, where when God called him, he could go back to Ahab, speak to Ahab, and God could restore rain upon the land. But this lady learned much. You see, the effects of this drought, the effects of this famine, were not, were not just individual, they, they were not local, they were, they were region-wide. There was, there was nothing. There was no grass. And tonight we look in chapter 18, you find that even Ahab and his household were, they were out looking for grass and for water and let, so that all the beasts wouldn't die. There was death at every turn. There was, there was great fear. There was great uncertainty. But Christian, understand that God is still alive. That God is still in control no matter what you face in life. God is there. He is able to see you through and carry you through. But there ought to be some behavioral changes in our lives. As we live our lives for God, we understand that the Lord God lives. And I praise the Lord for that. And uh, I thank God that He lives in my own heart. At the moment of salvation, the Lord comes and He indwells His children. Look back in the New Testament, please, at the book of Ephesians. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 1, describes the indwelling Spirit of God. At the moment of salvation, you and I receive an awesome inheritance from the Lord. There are so many great precious promises that are linked to the salvation that we have by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, heaven is our, is, will be our eternal home. But the down payment for heaven, Christians, the down payment for heaven is God Himself in you. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number 1, says, in whom, talking of Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. 
in whom, all, uh, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. He comes within you and He places His seal upon you. Christian, the Bible says, He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. How do I know that I have life? Well, I have His Son. And it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, as described in Colossians chapter number 2. But we look here, and it says in verse 14 of the same chapter, Ephesians chapter 1, it says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. The earnest. My in-laws are selling their house and they, they've, they've got a buyer. They just went into contract in their house, and, which is a big relief to them. My wife's grandmother passed away about a, a year and a half ago. And right before COVID struck, you know, it was great, great, uh, thankful that, we, they, that she passed before. Our family could be together and, and uh, be there in the hospital and different things. And we thankful for the, we're thankful for the hope of salvation. Her grandmother knows the Lord now better than she ever did before. And we have that hope. And uh, after her passing, my, my, my in-laws inherited their old farmhouse. It was built prior to the Civil War uh, down in West Virginia. It is, it is quite a place. You've heard me talk about it from time to time, I'm sure. It's a beautiful house. It's on 300 acres of, of just beautiful rolling hills of West Virginia. During the Civil War, depend on, depending on where the Union Army was and where the Confederate Army was, the officers of the armies would, would, use, would stay in that house. It was before the, the, the first floor was finished and they would actually bring their horses in uh, inside the house and the, when it was cold to keep them warm while the officers lived upstairs. It's quite a, quite a place. And, uh, but they're refurbishing the house, renovating it so they can, they can live in it. And it's, 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 it's really beautiful. But in the process, they're, they're, trying to, they're, they're selling their house and, and they were like, what if nobody buys our house, you know? And, Hadn't been on the market for a week and they'd already had it sold, you know. And uh, praise the Lord. But one of the things that is required in the purchase of a home is earnest money. That earnest money shows the sincerity of the buyer. It, it confirms or gives credence, credibility to the contract that you've just entered into. Well, Christians, do you realize that salvation is a contract? It is a contract. Thankfully, it doesn't continge upon anything that we do. It's contingent upon the Lord. Jesus Christ died in your place. He paid for your sin, was buried, rose again from the grave, is alive forevermore, and offers salvation to whosoever will. Whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. I'm thankful for the promises of God. Salvation isn't just for a chosen few, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And at the moment of salvation, you and I, we enter into a contract with God. It didn't depend upon you. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. So at the moment of salvation, 
the Lord does something. He gives us an earnest. The earnest of our inheritance. He gives us a down payment. He gives us something to assure our hearts that He that hath begun a good work in you is faithful to perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. And that is the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. He seals us at the moment of salvation. Look, look ahead in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, please. What is so significant about this relationship that you and I have with God? See, there will be times in life where, where you feel as if you're all alone. There will be times in life where you feel as if God has abandoned you, that God has forsaken you. There'll be times in life when the circumstances of life crowd Jesus Christ out. But we must never forget that Jesus Christ is present. God is present. More than just a general statement, the eyes of the Lord are in every place and His ears are open under their cry. We understand that, that God is everywhere. He's omnipresent. But more specifically, God is present in you. He's with you. And in, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, we find a great promise in verse number 5. The Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness. The word conversation, it, it speaks uh, of more than just a verbal conversation, a, a dialogue that two people could have, a, a general conversation in passing. The word conversation in God's word, it, it includes the wholeness of your life. All of your life, not just the words you speak, but the things you think, the places you go, the things you do, everything that you do. This is the conversation of your life. And so no matter where you find yourself, your conversation or your manner of life ought to be indicative of some things. So, and we find it here, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness. That's hard, isn't it? Because, well, they're not going through hardship. Why do I have to go through hardship? Boy, I wish I had their life. Boy, I wish that everything that, that happened to them would, would happen to me. It seems like they're the ones that catch all the breaks. But I just feel like Job, you know. Buddy, you ain't Job, right? And be thankful to God for that. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. The Bible says godliness with, or with contentment is great gain. Why? What do you have? You know, you could take out a list of things and just like the songwriter, you could count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord hath done. But beyond, above and beyond material possessions, you and I have Christ. That's what this verse is speaking about. It's not speaking about what you physically possess, like your house or your car or your clothes, your retirement account. It's not, it's not what he, the God is referring to. Say, so how do you know, Pastor? Well, because he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look there in verse 5. Same verse. It says, For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
So in the midst of great hardship, in the midst of great tragedy, in the famines of life, Christian, what ought your response be to God? This almighty, all-faithful God who has extended to you this promise, this, this down payment, this, his, Himself He's given to you. And He has reaffirmed His presence in your life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well then, in the famine, when you feel as if everything in life is unraveling, when everything is, is just falling apart at the seams, what is your response? Notice the first thing we find back in 1 Kings chapter 17. Why don't you write this down? What do you do in uncertain times? What do you do in the famine? Well, Christians, you obey God in the famine. You obey God in the famine. What if it doesn't make sense? Well, honestly, it doesn't make sense to not obey God. You've got to obey the Lord. We teach the children. You can hear them downstairs. Isn't that nice? We teach them the song, Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Christian, do you believe? Do you believe God? Do you believe that God is alive? Do you believe that God is faithful? Do you believe that He'll never leave you nor forsake you? Look back, last Sunday night, we looked or we ended uh, by spending some time in the book of Psalms. Please turn to Psalm 37 quickly here this morning. Do you believe God? When God says He's going to do something, do you, do you understand that, that you can take that to the bank every day of every week? That's a check you can cash. You can trust the Lord. How do we know? Well, look back in Psalm 37, beginning in verse number 23. The Bible says the steps of a good man are what? Ordered by whom? The Lord. You know, God will order my, my, order my steps, but you know what my obligation is? My obligation is to follow Him. My, like this, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness. All I have to do is follow. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Christian, we understand that God has something specific for you and me. Even in the midst of darkness, even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of great uncertainty in life, you can understand that God is faithful. You can trust in Him because He will never leave you nor forsake you. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He delighteth in His way. The Bible says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. Christian, you may fall down, you may feel like you just can't get up, or, can, or carry on, or continue on, but understand, you don't have to rely upon your own strength. You know, there are, there are days when, when I lay in bed, and I think, man, I can't, I can't get up today. Have you ever had a day like that? And I'm not talking about the weariness of my flesh. But I'm talking about the weariness of my spirit, of my soul. You ever go through something so di very difficult that it just, it, com it completely drains you? And you think, you know, I just don't want to deal with this today. Am I the only one? Why are you looking at me funny? Yeah. Am I the only one? Christian, you don't have to trust in yourself. The Bible says that putting confidence in a man 
brings a snare. It's a trap that you don't want to fall into. But I'm thankful for what the Bible says there. Look what the Bible says. It gives us a promise there in verse 24. It says, For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. You know what's so special about the hand of God? Look back in John chapter 10. We find something very special about the hand of God. In John chapter 10, in verse 27, we find a promise that Jesus Christ gives to his children. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Christian, we can trust God. We can obey God because you and I were in His hand. He's got us. He's holding us up. He's going to give you the strength to carry through, to carry on, to continue. He says, I've been young and am now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful, in verse 26, and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Christian, understand, you want God's blessing even in the midst of of uncertain times. You've got to obey God. You've got to obey God. Will you make that commitment this morning? To obey the Lord? To do as God says, to follow Him, to trust in Him, to rely upon Him, to find your strength in Him, to do as He says? We've got to obey God. Notice the second lesson we learn. You'll write this down as well. It'll it'll help you. We've got to abound toward God in uncertain times. We abound toward God in uncertain times. Christian, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't always make sense. We, we look back in, in, uh, in 1 Kings chapter number 17, we find that, that they obeyed God, right? Elijah, he said, listen to me. I, I, want you to, uh, I want you to go and I want you to make me some food, bring it to me, and then when you're done with that, then you can eat, right? And the Bible says in verse 15, it says, and she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. She obeyed, but she didn't obey once. She abounded in her obedience. Christian, in our lives, we must learn to abound toward God. You know, in our flesh, when we don't feel like we have a lot, don't we tend to tighten our grip on what we have? Oh, I don't want to let this go. You know what's interesting? You can hold more in an open hand than you ever can with a closed hand. You know what this lady did? She abounded. Look, it says, And she and he and her her house did eat many days. Verse 16 says, And the barrel of meal wasted not, uh, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord which he spake by Elijah. Christian, are you abounding toward God? Well, 
Have you seen gas prices? It's like three fifteen now. This might sound bad, but sometimes I miss filling up my Prius. And then I think about, oh wait, it was a Prius, and I'm happy to fill up my truck, you know. But fifty miles to the gallon was pretty nice. Three dollars and fifteen cents. I can't be driving back and forth to church. It's expensive. It's a long trip. It's like two miles down the road. (laughs) You know? It's kind of comical, isn't it? The way we think. You know who else in the Bible was going through a great time of leanness and want? The churches of Macedonia. Look ahead in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Our neighbor sold their house right across the road. And I met my new neighbor the other day. And they're from Macedonia. He's got this big old beard. I've got beard envy, you know. I thought, man, now that is a beard. I mean, it comes down. I mean, it's, it's a full beard. That's incredible. Real nice guy, but from Macedonia of all places, you know. Small world. But in 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, Paul, he's writing, he's encouraging the church in Corinth to follow through on a promise that they had made. And he, and he provides an example of the churches uh, in Macedonia. And in verse number 1, the Bible says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction... Look at verse 2 and mark this verse in your Bible. Mark verse 2 in your Bible. It says, How that in great trial of affliction... The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, then notice the next word, abounded under the riches of their liberality. None of that makes sense. Does it? Look at the words here. It says, great trial of affliction. The abundance of their joy. When you go through a trial of affliction... Do you have an abundance of joy? Or are you like most people? I can't wait to get out of this trouble. The Bible says, and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. It doesn't make any sense, does it? How can we abound toward God? Well, it's back in verse number one. It says the grace of God. We do you to wit of the grace of God. You know what God will help you do? He will help you obey, but He will help you abound toward Him. I I don't want to be lean in my walk with the Lord. I want to abound in my walk with Christ all the time. The Bible says in verse 3 of the same chapter, it says, "For, For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but notice, if you, this is what's going to have to happen in our lives if we are going to abound toward God. Even in, in seasons of great leanness, uh, un, un, uncertain times, we must do what we find here in verse 5. It says, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. You know, as we look back and in First, uh, First Kings chapter seventeen, we find that this the, the widow of Zarephath she had to make a decision. Was she going to 
trust in her human logic? Or was she going to trust in the Lord? And Christian, if you and I are going to abound toward God, you and I, we must learn to abound, to have faith in God, to obey Him and to trust Him. But if we're going to abound toward God, we must realize that what we have is not our own. You and I, we're just stewards, we're just managers of what God has given to us. None of it belongs to us. The Bible, you remember, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A quote from Job. We understand that God is good all the time. And that He is trustworthy. And that God is never going to ask you or lead you to do something that is detrimental to your life or to the livelihood of those you love. But on the contrary, He'll only ask you to do what is best for you and those you love. Do you know what God is concerned with? His glory and your good. That's what God's concerned about. His glory and your good. And in the times of great leanness, you and I, we can eat many days so long as we recognize that we can abound toward God. Don't just limit your obedience. You know, I I will obey God to a certain extent. But anything over and above that, no. No. We'll let somebody else pick up the slack there. It's not where God's glorified. Prove the Lord. Abound in uncertain times. But notice lastly this morning, if we look back in 1 Kings chapter 17, we also learn that we are to seek God in uncertain times. You know what happened? This lady did exactly what God said. She did exactly what Elijah commanded her to do, to feed him. And they ate many days. She and he and and her household. But remember her response to Elijah? Look look there, back in, in in verse number 12. It says, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. What mother wouldn't do whatever she could for the health and well-being of her children? What mother? Elijah assured her that it was going to be okay. But now we find in verse number 17, it says, And it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the the mistress of the house, fell sick, and his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. This boy died. My greatest fear has come to fruition. You say, Pastor, how could God allow that? She obeyed. She abounded. Yeah, but there was still a lesson to learn. Christians, sometimes we must learn to seek the Lord. Do you believe it's going to be all right? 
Do you believe that God will always do the right thing? In September of 1986, there was a young girl named Amy. Her parents loved her, would have done anything for her. Full of life, eight years old, 1986. She asked her mother if she could go out and check the mail. They lived on a busy, busy state highway. But she had gone out with her mom several times to check the mail. Had to look both ways before they crossed the street. And it was not the first time that she had gone out by herself to check the mail. And she got out to the mailbox, opened the box, took the mail out, closed the box back up, and stepped out and was struck by a car and killed right there in front of their family's house. It was my sister. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God would allow something like that to happen? Something dreadful, something awful, something that no parent would ever wish to happen to their child? Parents were living for God, serving the Lord. Certainly not perfect, but they were striving to to honor Christ with their lives. And, And tragedy like this would strike. What do we learn to do? You've got to seek the Lord. Christians, the only way that you and I can truly get through uncertain times is to seek God. You can obey Him. You can abound toward Him. But if you're not actively seeking God, you're wasting your time. Look what happens. Look at the story here. It says in verse 18, And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? You know, that was not a casual question. There was some intensity. You know, can you imagine how distraught and overwhelmed she was? You think, say, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? There was urgency about this. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him upon his own bed. And notice what Elijah did. It says, And he cried unto the Lord. And said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried unto the Lord. And said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. 
And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Won't you mark that statement in your Bible? The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. Christian, the Lord's ear is open under your cry. And the soul of the child came in came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him into his mother, or unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. You know what that means? It means it's going to be all right. What happens with God when you seek the Lord? And he answers your prayer. He gives you the petition of your heart. What does that do for you? The Bible says in verse 24, And the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. You know what it does? It increases your faith. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock. The door shall be open unto you. For whosoever asketh, receiveth. He that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be open unto him. Christian, you've got to ask. You know, in times of great leanness, when life overwhelms, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Trust God. Look to Him by faith. And rest assured that it's going to be okay. But what if you don't get what you ask for? Is it still okay? She got what she wanted. Her son came back to life but Christian, come what may, it's going to be all right. No matter what the uncertain times bring, you've got to trust the Lord. You've got to live for Him. You've got to live by faith. You've got to hold on to Him because He will never fail. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee.